zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little bit of the creeps are taking over. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I'm your host. I have a very special guest joining me for this episode that I'm going to introduce to you in just a couple seconds. But before I do, I just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast and Twin Peaks Talk, my other show, the weekly recap of the Twin Peaks series, is available on all major podcast platforms. Please like Share, subscribe, doesn't cost you a thing, and it will fill me with serotonin that'll keep me going throughout the day. We are also available on the Blind Knowledge Creative Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out webs, web, uh, webcasts, podcasts, and videocasts from around the world that cover a host of different topics presented in an informative interesting and entertaining fashion so please check out all the fine creators over at blindknowledge.com and we are a featured podcast on newsly newsly is an uh, audio app for an uh, ios audio app for androids and apple and will pick up the latest trending articles based on on topics that you follow and then read them to you in a natural human voice. So download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of Newsly's premium service courtesy of us. Now helping me cover Night of the Creeps, I would like to introduce Joseph... Corey III, who's going to tell us a little bit about his books here, the 80s Teen Flick Festival Reunion, and he's also a writer on Inside Pulse. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Well, well, thanks for having me. How's everything going there? <laughs> oh, you know, well, it's uh, it's winter in New England, so you, you, j- you just never know. Um, we've had, it was in the 50s the other day. And now it's in the 30s, and we had polar vortex temps. Um, probably something that you can relate to up 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 north in Canada. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's just winter in New England, and uh, I'm just trying to get through it. But, I'm, I'm down in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's, oh, it what? is going to be it's going to be 86 tomorrow. 86. Why did I think? Canada, because your your Twitter handle is your Canadian girlfriend. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I started that during the Vancouver Olympics and just stuck with it. <laughs> okay. It's it's amazing how many you can immediately know when you've won the argument as soon as somebody for some reason attacks Canada, and you're just like, yeah, you believe everything on the internet. Thanks for proving your gullibility. Right. Uh, but I have, my, my my family does come from Canada. Oh, okay. And, and actually, they, they come from Canada because originally they were American. And then uh, one of them, who was a member of uh, Rogers Rangers, uh, was deemed a crown loyalist. And George Washington uh, publicly had his uh, execution. So, uh, yeah, he hung him by a tree somewhere, I think, in uh, New York. And the, so the rest of the family decided, we're, we're out of here. 
and they moved to the Maritimes for about a hundred years. Wow. Before, before we, we knew nothing of this element in our family. And I, I always jokingly say it really makes me feel uncomfortable how we enjoyed 1976 bicentennial, not realizing George Washington, founder of the country, killer of ancestor. So, oh, uh, yeah. But, it's uh, always it's it's weird going down the family tree. I remember when, when uh, my grandfather is no longer with us, did um started researching our family tree, and my last name Dizio is not a not a common one. It's uh probably one of the most Italian names you could probably ever come up with. Uh, but we've got relatives. And there is a little town in Italy, little village called Dizio. But we also have a lot of relatives in all places down under in Australia. And uh, I actually have a relative that published a magazine before uh, magazines uh, stopped being a thing. Mm -hmm. I guess I still read magazines from now and then. But, you know, the print media, unfortunately, has kind of taken a hit recently. But he had a whole magazine called Italy Down Under. And um, if there's any super fans out there and uh, you look up my name, Chris DeZio on IMDb, there is a Chris DeZio on IMDb. That is not me. I've never met this individual, but he is a Canadian actor with my name. So back to Canada once again and yep. the, and the fine folks up north. So uh, enough about family <laughs> trees. Um I'm really interested about these books. Could you tell me a little bit about them? And where'd you come up with this idea? Because I I, th I think it's fascinating. Well, when, when the when the COVID started and we had the lockdowns, uh, like the film festival, I, I usually go to Full Frame Film Festival, this documentary film festival in Durham, and they canceled. They had to stop it because, you know, everything that was going on. And, and, and then the movie theaters around here shut down. And I was like, wow, there's nothing much to do. And for some reason, I got my head, I, I started watching, uh, you know, start digging up films. Um, and I, you know, as you were saying, you're, you're a collector of physical media and I, I am too, although most of it comes because I do the reviews for the website. Uh, it just shows up in the mail, luckily. Um, but the, uh, I had nothing to do. And so I just started saying, well, let me put out my own film festival of sorts. And then I started saying, what if I did a guidebook for this film festival in my head? And I started doing it. I just put together, I would do, uh, we, the, the, the original one uh, was based on the, you know, it's, it's swirled out of the whole 80s Brat Pack films. Right. Um, and so in, in addition, so it was like, in addition to just doing the usual John Hughes films, it was like, well, let's do the ones that, you know, made the John Hughes films happen, like Foxes or Fast Times at Ridgemont High or uh, you know Red Dawn, right? You know people forget about Red Dawn sometimes. That you know it's a teen movie. Private Lessons, one of the great <laughs> ones. Uh, I've, I, uh, oh, that's, that's to talk about a movie that would never get made today. It's I, I think you know to give the readers who, who listeners, I mean, who, who haven't seen it. It's a uh, it's a film about a kid in junior high that hooks up with the star of Emmanuel, uh, Sylvia Crystal. So uh, you can't beat as a small as as a kid who was in high school when this film came out. You're thinking, I'm thinking, yeah, this is good. Whoa, this is a great idea. But I can, I, and, and oddly enough, the film made a fortune. 
there, was, for you. There, there was an audience where somebody said, Hey honey, get in the car. We're going to go see that Emmanuel hook up with a junior high school kid. You yeah. know, so it wasn't, <laughs> well, it's not just, it wasn't a film, a, a film that couldn't be made today. It's a film that had an audience then. And that's the, the, you know, nowadays everybody gets uptight. If anything in the film is deemed, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we'll just say, uh, risky, you know, risky, but, uh, yeah. so I, so I wrote the book in each one of the essays instead of just, you know, it could have been easy just to write a summary of what the film is about, but instead it, it just turned into a bunch of bizarre freakish essays, either about facts about the movie, uh, that are little known. I guess my favorite one in this, in the first one was say anything. When I go in, in depth on, uh, the fact that in the movie you've, you've got the Peter Gabriel, that's the, the big song, right? Mm-hmm. In your eyes. Right. And we, I started digging into well, how did this happen? You know what what uh, what what was able to make this scene? Because in the movie, you know, it, you you remember John Cusack holding the boombox over his head, and you're thinking, but but before that, it was because they were making out in the car, and it was like with the, him and Ioni Sky, and you're like, well, how did that song end up at that choice moment? And it was like, well, it it definitely didn't play the you know the Peter Gabriel record. You have the tape of that. And uh, it really wasn't a hit at the time that the movie was being made. It was already pretty much considered an oldie. So, you know, I, I point out that the one of the top songs at that time was uh, Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Car. So, you know, that, that could have been playing. But we, I dug deeper and I found, you know, Cameron Crowe actually on the, uh, on the director's commentary talks about what the original songs were. Um, first, the one he had planned on using, which was a Billy Idol tune. And then the song that uh, John Cusack in the scene, because, you know, he's just standing in a park, nobody else, Ioni Sky's not there or anything, what he was really playing on the boombox at that time. And uh, it wasn't until late in the post process that they, they somebody in the, uh, luckily in the, in the editing room said, you know, it's going to work this song, you know? So, uh, so I dug into that, but then there's a lot of, you know, odd, odd autobiographical elements, uh, things that went on when I was in, you know, cause I, I, I was in high school in the, uh, in the early eighties and then pretty much stayed at NC state for the rest of the decade. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, trying to put things in the context of the times, which, you know, I, I guess is, is always a help because that's, that's part of it. You know, what, what were the context? Why, why would I have gone seen a movie such as, uh, you know, better off dead or, uh, one crazy summer at that time, you know, cause it was, a, it was a big time for movies. So, you know, it's, it, it goes into that. And plus, plus my favorite, the St. Elmo's fire. Yes. Why, why are those people so horrible? You know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and how the idea is that, that, you know, St. Elmo's fire to me is a movie that was looking for a serial killer. If, if, if you would, in, in that movie, if you'd heard somebody start up a chainsaw, the crowd would have been all over it. It's like, these are the people that should die in a horror movie. And yet they lived and (laughs) so, but, uh, but the first one, I finished the first one. And of course the pandemic wasn't over. So, uh, you know, I, I just decided, uh, you know, let me do another one. I'm so used to doing, you know, it became a part of my daily routine, especially during, you know, lockdown when there was nothing going on to just sit down and try to crank out a, you know, four or five page essay based on a film. So I, I did uh, part two, which is uh, the 80s teen flick festival reunion. And it has, a, uh, it has a cover that's supposed to look like the old print shop program that you would have with your dot matrix printer. 
I was gonna say, yeah, because if, if for those of you, um, I'll I'll pin these in the episode. The cover the the cover art. Um, the first the, the, the volume one is very eighties. It's soaked in neon, which I which I I love. And then yes, the the second one is very clearly looks like something that I would put together in like the one of those primitive first computers that you get um, with the very basic. Um, uh, Photoshop and adding a adding the diamond border and and changing the fonts and um I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff though so um I I dug the hell out of it it's it's a fun it was it was fun to actually find out somebody did uh, somebody did an emulator so it was like oh good you know for for the original print shop programs I, I uh, my uncle Rick and his aunt and, and Aunt Jenny they they were the first ones I knew who would who had the print shop thing and they would send us personalized greet you know cards for Christmas and birthdays. So, you know, using the little, you know, the, the goofy icons that you could pull up and stuff. So it was kind of funny. But the, the second one deals a lot more with um, there's there's horror in this one. And uh, and a bigger thing is the S.E. Hinton universe, which I think sometimes gets forgotten that there's more than just the Outsiders movie. That, uh, in fact, uh, my, my the oddest one is Tex, which was Disney's attempt to make a, uh, a pretty savage teen movie. Uh, about a kid who life isn't going great and it's not a Cinderella story by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you know, there's one scene where a uh, serial killer may, or, you know, a killer is holding them hostage in a car. Uh, and then there's the whole drug incident where a drug dealer shoots one of the brothers. You know, little, th or not one of the brothers, I think. But, you know, but it was like, and you sit there going, and Disney made this. You know, they're like right. barely a decade away from doing those, you know, Kurt Russell, uh, you know, a t computer that wore tennis shoe movies <laughs> right? You know? and, and here out of the blue comes this you know depressing story of these two high school kids whose mom ran off and dad's missing and they're stuck you know starving basically in their house waiting for one of them to you know dad to come home from some rodeo business he's doing it's you know it's a phenomenal film and then also there's uh you know what, what are the other ones uh rumblefish which i discovered Great. it's it's a very arty film Yes. And yet and everyone blames it on Coppola. Everyone's like, oh, Coppola went too far. Coppola went too far. And and then part of the part of the research I did, I guess, is I, I reread all four of Essie Hinton's books from this time. And she wrote that book, just like that movie. It has that floating quality. It is black and white. It has, you know, this sort of it's everything in that movie was on the page. And and I think it's it's a it's a remarkable Coppola was able to do that. I I mean yeah I was gonna I actually think that as far as a work of um cinematic art I I would I would put Rumblefish over the Outsiders. Um, but if you're going to show, if I was going to show my parents one of the two, I'm going with the Outsiders because it's it's much more um, digestible. Um, yeah. But. I, I kind of I like that RT kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Coppola, uh, see that's the thing with with Coppola. Like um, I, I, similar to you, um, I started doing this show because of the pandemic as well, mm -hmm. and I, I realized that I had these huge gaps in my cinematic um, history that I, I needed to fill in. And uh, one of the things that I, I discovered was, you know, the first one, well, maybe not the first, but one of the first Coppola movies is a movie called Dementia 13, 
from the late 50s, early 60s, uh, produced by Roger Corman, uh, straight up black and white horror movie. And if you really want something artsy from Coppola, uh, I can't recommend uh, The Rain People enough. A very underrated movie, in my opinion. Um, very. Um, it's a very feminist driven story and it wasn't coming from a time when feminism really had the voice that it has now. So, I mean, I, I always think it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's come with age or anything, but instead of, I'm, I'm kind of different, I guess, from the usual people in my age group is that I'm not looking forward to the next, um, installment of the mcu or the next star wars movie i'm i'm looking into these like criterion releases and weird stuff from the 70s that i missed out on and that um i i really and uh, i really think that movies we do have you know some modern movies and i do think there's some companies putting out some very interesting interesting movies um now but from you know from major from the major players nowadays are playing it so safe because the budgets are so big that they need to like they need the star power they need that uh already existing intellectual property because it has a built-in audience and there's less chances being taken now um mm-hmm. But it's funny. Um, I'm going to go back to something yeah. well, that you see, said. Well, see, I, I, I look forward to the Marvel, Marvel and Star Wars films in a way because uh, kids I, uh, I either knew in college or back when, when I went to film school at North Carolina School of the Arts, they're working on those because that's, wow. like, yeah. you know, that's the big money. That's, uh, I mean, the new Ant-Man movie, that's Peyton Reed. And I've known Peyton for decades because he went to UNC when I was at State and he knew my brother and a bunch of other mutual friends. So it's kind of, wow. it's, it's fun that Peyton's, you know, got this franchise going for him. And then likewise, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, st- and plus he ended up doing, I guess the Mandalorian episode, the big one with the, you know, when Luke Skywalker returns. Um, but, uh, so that, that's cool. And then a bunch of guys I knew who were editors that I went to school with, including, uh, Jeff Siebenick and, uh, I can't remember the other people's names. And, you know, another guy I went to school with, Kevin Hickman, he's worked on a bunch of stuff as editor. Everything from, I believe he worked on Miami Vice uh, to, uh, I think uh, he's, he's done a bunch of stuff. So, you know, that's, it's, it, to me, I only look forward to knowing what people I knew worked on it. Um, but do I actually look forward to the film? Not, not a while. Cause it, as you yeah. said, it becomes a grind and it's right. nothing, it, you know, and the thing is it's right now, you know, it's like movie theaters are it's feast or famine. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not there. There seems to be no longer any sort of mid-level hit. It's either got to be a massive blockbuster film, or yeah, it doesn't you know? Even that some of the good A twenty four stuff that comes out, it vanishes pretty quick because half the time you don't even know it's out there. And I know in my neighborhood, in, here in Raleigh, uh, we're basically down to three movie theaters, three con- cineplexes for the entire city. Wow. I mean, that's yeah. it. I mean, we're, you know, the, I mean, AMC, you know, the other day, I guess the, the big thing, AMC wants to charge different prices for where you sit in their theater. Uh, we don't have an AMC here anymore, as far as I can tell. Uh, they, they shut down the, the last two. So, 
you know, there's it's it, it is becoming that too. It's like you're you got to find places to watch films. Uh, Do you have an Vanity. independent theater in Raleigh, like a we, place that'll show independent movies? We we have an Alamo uh, nearby, which wow, does show, which does show you know it's it's a good mix of stuff, and and plus they're actually starting to show. Uh, they they want to do a thirty five millimeter series, so each month they'll bring in some print. Uh, I guess it's a you know a mini a mini Beverly Cinema like Tarantino's place. But they did uh, a couple months ago. They did Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, so that you know and it's so much fun. You know to, I, uh, I worked, Russ Meyer right? Yeah, Russ Meyer film. I I uh, for the longest time I worked at the uh, the Moving Image Archive at the School of the Arts. I was the I, I I did a lot of the programming and a bunch of other stuff. I, I you know, when I worked there for about geez, six years or something, um, and so I'm I'm so used to 35, and mm. you know we had we had Ray Ray Regis who owned the owned the collection had this massive massive several thousands of prints, everything from you know he had the he had the original Star Wars in Technicolor, uh, and Jaws in Technicolor. And he had King Kong. We, we, yeah, we had we had all the classics. And then towards the end, when I was there, we we took over the National Film uh, Services when they went bankrupt. They were the company. They were in charge. If when it came to distribution of films around the country, they would be the ones who Technicolor and the other plants would send their in, uh, would send the prints to them. They'd put them on the reels, put them in the cans, and then they were in charge of traffic of shipping them to the theaters around the country, getting them back, doing this. And then uh, basically a bunch of the services got upset at them, uh, pulled their, you know, uh, Disney, I know, Fox and a couple others. Uh, and they just decided we can do this on our own. We don't need you anymore. And even though they were a monopoly for, geez, I think it was like 50 something years, mm-hmm. vanished in like two years when everything went wow. on. And, and Ray, Ray made a deal to get all the unclaimed prints, you know, a lot wow. of orphan, orphaned films. And so, you know, we would go through these film prints and it's so, you know, and, and, and getting back to why it was fun watching 35, because each reel is different of a film mm-hmm. with 35 millimeters. You know, the color's a little different, the, you know, the sound might be a little, depending where you get sound from this, because it was faster pussycat. It's an optical sound. It's not a, you know, it's not, you know, they're not using the discs or little, you know, the little digital thing in between the sprockets. Um, and so, you know, each reel was like a surprise <laughs> as far as, you know, is it a little brighter? Is it a little darker? Is it a little scratchier? But you, you don't have that when you go see a digital film now. You just no, there's big, no, yeah, no watch, cigarette burns up in the corner. No cigarette the, uh, burns. You're, you're just watching television. The first, the first yeah. minute is going to look like the last minute, basically, unless yeah. something goes horribly wrong in the booth. Um, and then if something <laughs> does go horribly wrong in the booth, we have to shut the film down because nobody knows how to fix that. You know, right. There's, there's nobody doing an Insta splice up there and trying to get the reels back on. So, uh, but yeah, so we have that. And then we have a, I I guess, uh, two other theaters and that's it. Like the local indie, uh, company, they shut down the, the, the Rialto theater. They shut that down. I want to say it was like in August out of the blue, just boop, we're gone. And then they also, they, they were running also like two other theaters and they shut those down too. So a little complex. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's tough enough now to, to imagine the theatrical crowd because it's, you know, you're losing so many places to see it. I know, you know, in certain markets, a lot of theaters are closing because the land's too valuable. 
Right. You know, they they want to, you know, do we want a eight, eight, you know, eight theater, co- to, you know, eight, 12 theater complex here, or do we just want to put up town? It, they did this here. They, they had a second house, you know, the buck, the buck theater deal, uh, near, near the, uh, you know, geez, we're on the other side of town, but you know, I drove by there one day, and, uh, you know, there it was an entire uh, apartment complex. You know, no more could you go see the stained and sticky theater, the 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 Buck Theater. So, it's you know, it's a vanishing thing in a in a sad way. You know, especially because as I I've, I've worked in in films for a bit, and you know, is everyone's like, oh, streaming is so much better, and I'm like, but if you're if you make these films, you lose so much money, and so many opportunities to try to get a following. When you don't have theaters, when you don't have physical media, uh, when you don't have the ability to syndicate the show because, you know, it's on our streaming service and you need to rent our streaming service or nobody sees it. You know? Right. So you're, you're just stuck. You know, I, I, did a, I produced a film called Moving Midway uh, about, geez, over a decade ago. And I was an associate producer on it. And they made a deal with Netflix at the time. And it was a three-year... Uh, three-year exclusive streaming digital streaming rights uh, deal for five thousand dollars. That was it. Didn't matter how Jeez. many people saw it. Didn't how many people didn't. We got a fat old five thousand dollar check, which you know it didn't go far because you know the movie cost us about half a million to put together. Feel like right, you know. But luckily, and luckily like before said- they did. Oh, but but. No, but- uh- I was just going to say, like, like you said, now with streaming, um, one of the reasons I hold on to my physical media collection is because people don't understand this, that there's all these rights deals going on behind the scenes. And I know that, uh, what is it, that that show Arrested Development is leaving Netflix. So, like, you got to get in now. And even, like, stuff that was Netflix exclusive, like those Marvel TV shows, The Punisher, uh, The Punisher, and Daredevil, and all those mm-hmm. were produced for Netflix. Now they're over on Disney. It's like that's why if I buy a DVD, I buy a Blu-ray. As long as my uh, Blu-ray player is working, I'm in business. Yeah. And um, you know, well, that it, that's kind of why I hold on to them. No, it's not even like the good old days where it was like, oh, I'll just tape it on my VHS tape, and we're all good, or even a DVD-R. Um, you know, you can't tape these things. I mean, the other day I've, I have, uh, was it YouTube TV and they're, you know, having a fight with major league baseball network and they're like, well, we don't, uh, we're not carrying their signal right now. And if you had anything from MLB on your DVR, it's gone. Wow. You know, and I, (laughs) I, I I worked at Cox cable and I can assure you people think they own what's on the DVR. Yeah, they get uh, so angry when their DVR goes bad, and you're like, "I'm trying to explain to them, you don't own it. It's not yours. You can't yeah. take it off." Well, there are there there are weird ways you can take the stuff off it, but it's not an easy thing. And I'm sure. just like, it's not a it's it's just there for convenience. It's not there for you to remember forever and ever and have it on the shelf like your wedding video. Um, no, you know, and it's it's it's. But it is it is kind of, you know, you, you want to hang on to the physical stuff. And as I said, we, we did, luckily, the movie did play some theaters. It did get oh, a first-run features, put it out in, you know, several major markets. And we also had a DVD deal with them. 
So the DVD was there too before we went to Netflix. And even after Netflix, you know, we've been, you know, the, the people who are higher up on the thing have been, you know, been able to, you know, syndicate it. It, it aired on PBS and certain markets too. But you're not going to get that in streaming now. I mean, if you no. make that deal, you know, it's like if you make that deal with Netflix, 99% of it is just that deal with Netflix and you're done. Right. You're, you know, you're, they're going to contain, they're going to take foreign rights too. So you don't have to, you know, there's no, you know, we used to joke about maybe you'll turn a profit when you sell the VA, the beta rights in uh, Brussels or something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't, that, that no longer exists either. So, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're just not seeing the money coming back. No. And, and I want to, I want to run by you. I want to run by something that we just occurred to me while you were, we were having this conversation. Um, I think that streaming and just like the death of the movie theaters in general, especially the local art house, independent things, is is kind of becoming the death of uh, cult movies because so many of the movies that I cover, you know, they weren't block they were not box office successes like the movie we're talking about today night of the creeps was not a box office success it found it found its audience in home video and it found its audience on cable and and i do you do you see it because to me to be first of all i i don't i don't think that you could set out to make a cult movie i think that if your mindset is to make a cult movie you're gonna trip yourself up too much and yeah you you can't be cognizant of what you're doing no you you need to there there's a certain level of but but the key is you're doing your best right that's and the audience finds you right good part i mean there's even even the worst films even some of the the horrible films where they're they're somehow getting revived because they're just that bad but you know that everybody working on that film, that was the best they could ever deliver. Right. You know, they're not it, coming up. The was it Miami? Is it Miami Connection? Uh the 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 one about the I can't it's like a judo school in the band oh, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, Those people are working as hard as they can. They're making the dream up there. They're not holding anything back. You know, it's not like we're gonna be culty and we're gonna do the no. They're thinking we're making Citizen Kane with karate and uh, and a cool band singing that Friends Forever song or whatever, you know. <laughs> and that's and that's what makes them lovable as a cult film instead of just painfully. There there there's a lot of cult film quote cult films that are just bad and horrible, and you're never going to see them because they're that painful. Right, and then and, you have it, it, like it, just like um, a perfect example of this would be Ed Wood. Ed Wood thought every movie that he was making was, you know, like you said, on a level of Citizen Kane. He wanted to achieve that success. Just so happens he's incompetent. I think that's putting it nicely. <laughs> he was incompetent. He was competent enough. And that's yeah. like, he, he knew to take the lens cap off the camera. That's true. You know? that's it's true. Like, and, 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 you know, I mean, I when I was at the film school, we did a... Uh, we did a, a film festival featuring film the the film instructors. It was like some some weird conference thing, right? You have not felt pain till you saw what these people thought was entertaining. You mm. know, it's like, and you say all you want about Ed Wood being the worst. Ed Wood is a genius compared to ninety five percent of what we saw at that festival. 
Oh, it was sure, like yeah. we, we were having to run these things, so it was painful because we had to, you know, make sure our eyes were making sure something was appearing on the screen. But uh, you know, and that's it. You you want something good, entertaining, and and yeah, I don't see how it's it's hard for something to be a cult film on Netflix for the yeah, small, I, because because it's a you know what Netflix all these streaming services they remind me of the you know when you go to Walmart. And there's that giant pit of DVDs for four ninety nine or whatever. Yes, that's I did. it. Are, how long are you going to sit there and dig your hand into that thing trying to find something that's good? And I, and that's the thing. Like it's it's gotten to the point where I, I do as much as I bash streaming services. I have a couple, and I just I but I mostly have those for I don't have them for movies. I have them. For like TV shows or yeah. like or original series that, that Netflix produces or HBO produces, um, I'm not necessarily, you know, like you said, a, a cult movie. The audience will find a cult movie, whereas I say something like um, the MCU, they already have a built-in audience yeah. and they have such devoted fans that who will will defend these movies and won't even say a bad thing about them. They'll be like, no, the CGI is fine. And be like, no, the CGI is not fine. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's iffy at points. And, but they're so almost syncophantic about it. They're so defensive about it that they won't even like, they won't even allow a bad word to be said. And I think that leads to an unhealthy discourse and it leads to, um, leads to a lot of negativity especially on social media um yeah I, i've seen the attacks on on scorsese that just keep coming it's like just leave him alone he doesn't like the movies and we're all good you know it's like right. I, nobody you know when i back in the 80s you didn't have to like everything you know yeah. you didn't have to oh god you know as if as if somehow if only one person hates this movie it's gonna tumble off the face of the earth you're going to ruin it all for the rest of us. It's like, no, you, you know, some films you'd walk out of, you know, right. I, I and speaking. Yeah. Cause you know, you just, something in the movie annoys you something. I remember we went to go see Tucker, Francis Ford Coppola's Tucker. And for some reason, his constantly singing, hold that tiger, Je Jeff Bridges made us get up and walk out. It was like, wow. I can't take it. I can't take hold that tiger. I don't care what the rest of the film is. I'm gone. I don't know why it just affected us that night. It, yeah. You know, but you know, and that, but that's part of it. It's, you know, and I, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy a lot of the Marvel movies, but I'll, I'll be honest, the last batch have just kind of just laid there. You know, uh, they're not, I, I, I still haven't finished. Was it the Eternals? I, you know what? I, I, I tapped out a while ago. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, they're free on Disney Plus, so that's why I end up watching them. But yeah, you're not, and, you know, it's not as exciting as the first few years. No, now, now you're and, just it's it's obligatory. It's and not only that, I don't want to have to have seen half a dozen movies and watched eight hours of a TV show just so I could be caught up on on something like yeah. I didn't. I, I I like I said, I tapped out for a while because i i was i was invested and then it, it just became like oversaturated it became 
too much of a good thing. Like it was just like, like you can have a really really good meal, but you don't want to have that meal. You don't want to have the same dinner every night, do you? Like, and that's kind of the way some of those movies felt to me. And then, well, then I wanted like you'd you'd have to have the same. It's not just you're having the same meal every night. You have to remember that the olives from Thursday's meal relate back to Tuesdays, and you're just like. I'm just trying to right. watch a movie here. I've got life. It's like a soap opera. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like when you, I, I could never get into a soap opera because all you, if you accidentally watched it with somebody who watched it for a while, they would have to sit there and explain to you these 16 different things that went on in that scene that you have no idea unless you, well, Jamie, that's her sister who died and was replaced by so-and-so. And it's like, just wanted to watch an hour's worth of goofiness you know yeah and, and you're not getting that now now it's as you said i can't watch the doctor strange movie if i haven't watched the uh you know the the, the mini series on disney the wanda and what's his name thing you know wandavision yeah because i yeah, hadn't watched i hadn't seen wandavision but i yeah. wanted and i wasn't really all the, I, I saw the first Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange was never a comic book hero that I, necessarily appealed to me all that much. But I, the, the name Sam Raimi popped up. I'm like, okay, now now it's on my radar, and yeah. it's on my radar probably for reasons that Disney doesn't want it to be on my radar because like the, the, we want you to be like the big you know MCU uh, fan that knows everything going on. I just wanted to see a cool Sam Raimi movie, and I got that. But I was also confused. Because like I had to get like a I got like um a quick prep prep from my brother to keep me up to date because he watched WandaVision yeah to keep me up to date with going on and I was like do I I don't want that when I go into a movie theater I I, I remembered there was um well I want to say it was David Lynch's Dune yeah that they 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 printed like you would have to have like printed paper like pages printed out for like to keep track of the characters and all the other, you know, like the, the, the slang terms that are made up in this, this sci-fi world. And I was like, yeah. like that's ruining the experience of the movie. You go to a movie to sit in a darkened theater. You don't want to have to keep like shining a little flashlight on your piece of paper to be keeping track of, of who's who and, and that kind of stuff. It becomes, you know, it doesn't become fun. And that's the whole, yeah. you know, that's why do we, you know, yeah. you know, why do we tune into these things anyway? You know, I mean, it's supposed to be an escape. A movie should, well, it's not even an escape, but it should be at least self-contained. You know, that yeah, should yeah. be, and, and, and as far as David Lynch movie, I mean, go see a razor head. There's no way they can hand you a pamphlet that explains that, you know, no. it's like, this is, you know, I, I, I didn't need the pamphlet to understand Dune, but at the same time, you know, yeah, I could see why people are like, what's going on? What's going Because people are always going to do that. You know, you're not going to get everybody understanding what's going on because it's a it's a movie. Yeah, you know? and, and and nowadays I don't want I don't want to rag on uh, uh, generations younger than us, but uh, how many people just sit and watch a movie and not or are not playing on their phone at some point or time? Oh yeah, not, you, you know, you're not tweeting. Like, are you actually focused on the movie? And then you're then you're interrupting other people who are are watching the movie and go, oh, what did I miss? Yeah. And like, <laughs> what's going on? Who's that? Well, what's that there, kind of stuff. There, there was a service a couple of years ago, I guess. So if you had to go use the bathroom, uh, you know, while you were running back, they could catch you up on what you were missing from the film. 
I think I can't remember what it was called, but it was a bathroom break, you know, update for some movie that came out thing. It was kind of strange, wow. but I mean, I looking back, I guess tying it back into this. I mean, when this movie came out in the eighties, yeah, we didn't have phones. Uh, I, I, I think we had newspapers, but you know, but yeah, once you went into that movie theater, you were, you, you know, you were there. That was it. Yeah. yeah. You were, you know, you know you, maybe you were well, talking to the person next to you. I was going to say, uh, unless you got a hot date, then you might miss some of the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, please. So we, we, we've talked almost 40 minutes already. and we. Oh. <laughs> so why don't we start um, talking about a self-contained little movie here. Um, yes. Night of the Creeps, released August 22nd, 1986. Now, I wasn't able to find a budget. I'm guessing it wasn't very big, um, but it it, it grossed about $591,000, written and directed by Fred Decker. But I also, uh, I came across in my research, uh, uncredited work on the script done by a Mr. Shane Black. Did you? I I can believe, well, Shane, I believe they're friends. Yeah, because they did Monster Squad together. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, can you give me some help with this kind of deal? You know, you're always relating. Plus, I mean, you know, Deckard, Fred and him teamed up again for uh, which one? The Predator, which I'm not sure which of the Predator movies it is because they're all called The Predator at some point, aren't they? But yeah. Oh, the most, yeah. I'm not I, sure. I don't, it's it's I the one that came s- out in 2018. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I kind of hate that. I kind of hate that having to do that now, especially when it's not a remake and it's just a continuation. Yeah. Like, um, like Halloween. I had to go, is it evil dead or is it evil dead 2013? Mm-hmm. And then someone will say, well, evil dead 2013, evil dead 20, that was a remake. And I go, no, that wasn't a remake. It's actually a continuation of the series and it's made quite abundantly clear, but that's just me being a nerd about evil dead. But yeah, the same thing with Halloween, Halloween, my, now, my- those are my classmates who made that, so that was kind of weird. <laughs> it's the Danny Which, McBride, Danny McBride, and uh, Danny uh, David Green were guys. David Gordon. Wow, you went, you went to. I went to school when it was just David Green. I, I'm not sure where the Gordon came from, but uh, we uh, we have our beliefs. But yeah, they they went to North Carolina School of the Arts with uh, with me. Wow. And, yeah, and um. It, and is that fact, the same? Jody Hill come from that little Jody, group too. Yeah. Jody and I were actually working on a project towards the end of uh, school. We're we're trying to do a uh, one of those uh, erotic thrillers, and we had a meeting set up with Pierre David's company because uh, one of our editing instructors, Julian Smillion, who worked on um, uh, which one is it, Death Wish Two, he he knew Pierre David. <laughs> oh, he no worked with him. Yeah, so we walk in, Jody and I walk in, and we're, you know, we've got our pitch down. It's this weird rock thriller involving a videographer guy who plants, you know, spy cams basically around L.A. and pulls the footage and tries to sell them the next morning, you know, if anything happens at these night spots and stuff. And he somehow gets tangled in with some Russian mafia and hookers because, it's you know, there's some showering because it's a erotic thriller. Um, and we sit down. And the guy basically tells him, right as we're about to get our pitch, that, uh, yeah, Pierre's, uh, the, the business isn't looking good for this kind of, our, our kind of movies now. So uh, Pierre's closing down the production Aww. company. It was like, that was, was this like, was this before or after the foot fist ways? And, uh, oh, this was this... long before, long before. Oh, okay. this, was, this would have been uh, 19, 1999. 
Okay. So, but yeah, before Jody did that, but yeah, so it was like we walk in thinking we can get something, and it's this is the second time that's happened to me. I, I once had a script uh, for this movie, and uh, it was, I guess, Thursday or Friday. A buddy of mine had taken it over to Babyface Edmonds Company, and the creative guy there was like, had was all over it, and was like, "We want this. We want this. You know what? We're gonna call you in Monday." And we're going to make a deal. We'll figure out some sort of option deal or whatever. And I'm like, yes, you know, this is great. This is great. And and because the caveat was, well, we're just going to, you know, sit back and see what the returns for Josie and the Pussycats were. Uh-oh. Film <laughs> tanked. Babyface Edmonds shut down his movie business right then and wow. there. It was like, I'm sticking to music. And so it was like the curse. It was like that Eskimo script that gets Eskimo spy script or whatever that gets passed around that to, to large actors and they die of a heart attack within six months. You know, it's like me, I show up and your production company implodes. So, uh, but yeah, the, but if, if you see the Halloween movie, there's that horrible, uh, podcast English guy who's the, really the, one of the worst characters in horror movies ever. And his name is Aaron Joseph Corey. Oh, they give him a little nod to you. So yeah. you, you're you're the guy that got he gets brutalized in a bathroom, if I'm not mistaken. He gets killed in a women's room, you know, and yeah. you know, and I'm sitting there going, I wouldn't have done that. I don't go in the thanks. women's room. Yeah. I will, thanks. I will, I will <laughs> thanks, find the buddy. proper authorities to go in there and find my boss getting torn apart by somebody who's inhuman. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I I hadn't talked to those guys in like twenty years. And then, like you just show up in their, you show up in their movie. What a oh. weird trajectory for for his career, though. Because I remember I saw, was it George Washington? Mm-hmm. Then he was like making these really artsy movies, and then, and no offense, I know he he's your friend. Then he put out he, something like Your Highness and oh, yeah. The Sitter, and I was like, oh. what is water? He what what happened? <laughs> I mean, and then he rebounded. I actually like I like his Halloween movies, so they're they're okay. Um, but I mean, they're Halloween movies. I mean, it's uh, sure. you know the bar is not that high. Plus, no. everybody thinks John Carpenter made him anyway. So you know, it's like they're John yeah. Carpenter. It's, it goes between John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis, and then you know maybe those guys. But yeah, it's I, look they made their their, their money off. Of it. But no, I'll, I'll say David. Uh, David wasn't that tight of a friend. He was just weird. At school, okay. <laughs> I mean, he would he he'd say things that made no sense. He always claimed he was like the first person to have a blockbuster card. And I'm sitting there when he's telling this story, mm. and I'm like, "You were like ten or something when Blockbuster opened." You know, it's like there's no way they gave a ten year old a video card. You know, really? at that point, you know, you, you didn't have a drive, you know, driver's license and a you know a a uh, you know a credit card and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. but anyway, but he he would make up things and. I remember one time he lied about being the head of creative development or something at a major production company and word of that got back and that production company refused to hire anybody from our school for several years. Wow. Um, they were not happy with David. So he not only burned his own bridge, he burned an entire school's bridge. He burned it. And I mean, look, he, that, that your highness movie, I'm still not sure where the money was spent on that thing. I mean, it was just an elaborate Xena episode. Uh, uh, and, and, but, but I know I, I, I had a relative who worked at universal at the time in in the accounting department. And I, I asked him about the film and it was like, that movie will never see profit. And that's not being creative with the numbers. You know, it's wow. just, 
there was no, it just, yeah, it was horrible, horrible. But yeah, David, and then David went on to make all the little tiny films. Yeah, I was going to say, he had a weird trajectory. I, I had to say, though, um, uh, we're moving away from David Gordon Green yeah. to somebody else that you know, Jody Hill, I I love his sense of humor. I I think maybe it's because I have a very dark sense of humor, but I love Foot Fist Way, Observer Report, Eastbound and Down. Oh, yeah. Like I the, the, those sh- like it makes it makes it makes me laugh at things that I probably shouldn't be laughing at. I know there's that controversial scene in Observe and Report where um, the sex scene where mm-hmm. it's uh, it's unclear whether or not Anna Faris is actually conscious yeah. <laughs> during the sex. It's, um, yeah, Jody's Jody was a fun guy. I mean, that's you know I, I liked working with him and stuff, and uh, you know he's he's found it. I mean, I, I enjoy the fact he's popping up as a one of the characters on Righteous Gemstones now. So I know, have to, I have to catch up with that show. Um, yeah. I, I think I've seen the first, I know I've seen the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw what, what was the show that he did about principles? Also Fight with Danny McBride. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those guys have a, they, they've got a set up down South Carolina, I guess, where they, uh, Charleston now where they work out of, um, for doing their shows and stuff. So, Especially wow. since, since North Carolina got rid of its uh, wonderful tax rebate for productions, uh, you know why? Why bother with staying in North Carolina for productions? Yeah, you're gonna go. You're gonna go to Canada or or, or Georgia. Georgia. And, you know. Well, Georgia's the one that killed the tax cut uh, rebate program in North Carolina. Is it? The, yeah, the guy who does Chick Fil A, I was told, basically was uh, lobbying in North Carolina, trying to get all these senators and you know Congress or general assembly people uh from the not wilmington north carolina raleigh area to go that's hollywood's just taking your money taking your money away you guys need to stop this right yeah not telling them that he's like a major investor into the atlanta pinewood studio (laughs) so as soon as as soon as the business here died it was doing well for quite a bit of time we did you know one of the iron man movies and stuff came here and you know i know there were a couple other productions that were you know aiming to shoot here and then they just yanked that program. Wow. Everybody was like gone. They, they set up a program where you can apply for kind of a grant thing and, and they'll read the script and they'll, you know, you talk to them and maybe they'll, you'll be one of the three films that gets money from us. And I'm like, what, what is this? Some sort of, you know, academic scholarship thing or something? Yeah. Oh, it's a popularity contest. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm like, I, I don't want, I don't want these people, you know, looking at my script for crying out loud. You know, these are people who don't even go to movies in the first place. So why, no, why do no. you expect them to have some great insight? You know, I think we they- don't get anything made here. We get uh, we'll we'll get scenes for, uh, we'll we'll get um scenes from the Farrelly brothers. will get shot here because they're they're from um their their hometowns like half an hour down the road from me. But uh, other than that, Rhode Island, right? Rhode Island, right? So we've okay. got the Farrelly brothers. Uh, that underdog movie, yeah, uh, that 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 bombed, and then the the latest Hocus Pocus two part of parts of it were filmed here. But like, it's surprising to me too because there's some really like if I, I my my dream job would be to you know to direct a movie at some and then like I I see parts of Rhode Island that just would be prime, but but like you were saying with all of a sudden it seemed that at the end of 
all the credits now in movies, all of a sudden, this little Georgia peach started popping up at the bottom. Yep. And I was like, what's going on here? And it, it turns out, like you said, like, yeah, uh, this, uh, you know, everyone seems to be making movies down there. They, they, they give, you know, they built that extensive complex and then also, uh, what Tyler Perry's got his place down there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's big hopping thing, you know? Yeah. You you, you can't fight Medea. Once you, you can't, know. you can't, you can't, he, <laughs> he built his own white house down there so you can just shoot all the DC stuff you want. But yeah. Night, night of the creep. I guess we should get back to night of the creeps. We again. should get back night, to night, night of the, the creeps had a low budget. And unfortunately I get the idea that basically TriStar tanked this film. Um, it was only out in 70 theaters, which back in 1986, that could have just covered New York, LA, and maybe some Chicago. Right. I know I was working at the school paper at the time, and I have no memory of a press kit showing up for Night of the Creeps. And we used to get a lot of TriStar stuff. So I think it just, they just wanted it. They were, they were good. They would, they were, you know, if they, rec- yeah, they gave it a little bit of money. They, they probably figured they would recoup it. Video. You know, yeah. I mean, this but- is back when, this is back when you charge a hundred dollars for the rental video, right? For the, for I, the different stores versus Blockbuster when they made the deal that yeah, we'll you know because that's the thing people forget in the nineties, Blockbuster made a deal with the studios to share revenue, so that they didn't have to fork up money up front. And it was like you know two dollars to make the tape, and uh, we'll go whatever. I don't, I'm not even sure what the breakdown was, but. You know, an independent producer couldn't do that. They needed their money up front. Right. You know, I, I know the trauma guys were complaining about that when it happened. So, but, but it, no, I but, think something like Night of the Creeps, I come across this a lot in my show with, with cult movies. I think part of the problem, well, this is not part of the problem, but p- part of the issue with, with it is, um, and one of the things that I think that makes a cult movie, because I was just, um, I had just gotten off a, a previous podcast they were they did an interview with me and one of the qu- questions i always get asked when i when i do interviews is what do you think constitutes a cult movie and i really it's tough for me to sum up but one of the things that i would say um if i had to market a cult movie that is not a job i would want i think that marketing the latest um MCU movie, the latest comic book movie, the latest Star Wars movie would be very easy to market. Um, but marketing something like Night of the Creeps, I wouldn't want to have to do that. I wouldn't want to have to cut a trailer for Night of the Creeps because this movie is all over the place. We've got pretty much like every single subgenre of horror and sci-fi going on in this movie. There's slasher elements, there's aliens, there's zombies, there's every, like, this is, and I, from my research, this was very much like Fred Decker throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. And it, yeah. Um, should we try to sum up the, pl- I mean, cause the, pl- the, well, the, the plots, plots, the plot's pretty easy in that. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I guess, well, you got your aliens at the beginning. Right. Somehow, so one of the alien creatures decides he wants to jettison this giant, like, missile sort of thing, down, like a pipe, onto Earth. And then it uh, somehow causes one of the, a frat guy to uh, turn into a zombie who uh, holds an axe. And, uh, but there's well, also. Now we're out of it. Now, now, I'm, now, now I'm losing sense of it. <laughs> what I was going to say, 
also at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there also an escaped mental patient? That's it. It's the mental patient. <laughs> that goes. Yeah, I, I keep confusing the male patient for the frat guy. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And, and um, the male patient with the axe. Right. So, like I said, like this movie, it's 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 a, a hodgepodge. I've seen some of the some of the one of the common criticisms of this movie is that it's a mess. <laughs> And I could see where people are coming from because, you know, like you said, we were just talking about the Halloween movies. Mm -hmm. There's a clear antagonist. Michael Myers is your clear antagonist. And now you're the creeps. Like, it's, like you said, it starts out with aliens. There's an escape mental patient. Then there's zombies. There's slugs that are going into people's mouths. Yep. It's it's kind of... But I, and frat boys. And frat boys. And we, we, and, should, we should talk about frat boys of the 80s because I hated them. So it's... Not, were you were you in a frat? <laughs> I was not. No, 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 no. I was I, not. I was not frat material. <laughs> I I was banned from the frats at NC State. That's one of my favorite really. Things. Yeah, we got. Well, for, first off, I mean the frats only, as far as I concerned, they were only good for one thing and one thing only. That they would do this rush thing at the beginning of this the year. For about three days, you could wander over to frat row and get drunk with your friends. Right. Yeah. And we and we would, but you'd always have to make sure you stayed with your group, because you know bad things can happen if you accidentally pass out. Uh, even if you're a guy, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember uh, Duke basketball star Reggie Love? No. Oh uh, well, he he decided one day to get drunk and pass out at a frat at UNC. Uh oh. And this was the early days of the internet. And amazingly enough, all these horrifying photos of what they drew on his face and decided to pose next to his face ended up on the internet. I can only imagine. So, I'm, but, I, I'm sure we're all thinking the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't. I don't need to describe anything. But but yeah. as I said, so so they, there was great in the sense that hey, it was three days we didn't have to pay for beers basically. And but, I think Hootie and the Blowfish used to play these things at NC State. Well, but, that's a that, that, that's a great reason to leave a fret. If I there you go, <laughs> but um, but then and, and it was all good. And then they decided after that they were worthless. As soon as the free beer dried up or went away for the rush, but then the school decided that they wanted to have dry rush, so no more liquor and and booze to attract kids because the you know drinking age had gone up to twenty one anyway. Um, and that's when you question, what is the purpose of these things doing here now? You know, they're, they're not giving us free beer. They're just a bunch of hassling guys wearing duck pants. So uh, it was not. I, I hate him. And so I got banned eventually. I was running for student body president. And during a debate, which I had nothing to do with, they decided to say, now if the uh, candidates would like to ask other candidates uh, uh, a question, that we will open it up to that. And uh, my buddy Dennis Drone Asked the head of the frat boys who was running for office too. It was like, "Hey, Billy, uh, what's your uh, what's your perspective on masturbation?" And it just a bomb went off in the room, <laughs> and I mean, people were upset, you know. And it was like, and eventually, somehow, I got tied into it, even though I did nothing. And they said, "You can't come to the frat. You know, you're not allowed on the frat at the frat debate and all this right. other stuff." And I was just like, "Good." You know, like I have really, it's oh. it's a very odd, antiquated um, kind of social thing that it's, goes on. I, I I've known people in frats. I, I've dated girls that were in sororities. There's all there's there's just something a little bit um, it's, programmed about a lot of them. Um, it's, it's, it's 
it's a very kind of conformist. It's almost like a social inbreeding kind of thing going on. And uh, I don't like that. I don't like it. It's it was it was no, you know, it was not social. I, I just, you know, I tried to avoid. I remember uh, I, I went up to Columbia one time and we were staying at uh, Scott Sardiano, who's who ran up some nightclubs now. But um, he actually dated one of the Olsen twins when after she turned eighteen. So uh, he's the first man to have legally dated a Olsen twin. Oh, but uh, oh. he was we we were gonna st- we were staying at his frat at Columbia, and this building was the most horrifying place I've ever been inside. And I've been inside some really bad things as a census taker. <laughs> um, but this this place, like there there was a one time it must have been this beautiful glass ceiling part over the staircase like a three-story staircase except it had cracked and was leaking onto the stair the stairs were, were were rotted so that as we're going up it was like you'd hold on to the banister and you wouldn't move one foot until the other one was secure kind of deal right it was, oh it was and the the bathrooms were just so na- I mean, everything was just so nasty it was like one of those places where you go crack whores refuse to stand near your frat because it will devalue their <laughs> services, you know. It was wow. oh, yeah. And these are your, you know, these are people who are paying a fortune to go to school. And exactly. They were, they were they were living in a crack den, basically. So it was like, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I I have no, you know, I and, and this is the thing. This movie probably would have made more money if they'd put it out the end of September, when a lot more people are hating on the frat boys. Right. This was August the- before school comes out. Yeah, and you know this was the 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 '80s where where you know after Jaws, the summer blockbuster was born. Um, a movie like this, I can only imagine. I mean, I was five when this movie came out, so I can't really speak to what was coming out in '86. But I'm sure that this this just got uh, just overshadowed by you know huge movies. Probably, well, uh, probably by TriStar themselves, they probably overshadowed themselves. Oh yeah, no, I mean they they it, it wasn't even huge movies. I mean there were a lot of films coming out, as I said, you know, doing the '80s book. I mean I'm on my I'm working on a third book. Oh wow! And, and you realize Excellent. that there's still so much that came out '80s teen films alone. You know, there's there's at least 200 of these things that came out, and so you know they're, they're and they weren't expensive. You know, it's not like we had to have you know. You know, like James Spader was getting paid twenty million dollars to appear in half these things, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to see it getting overshadowed though because so much was coming out. And you look at something like Night of the Creeps. The I mean, the biggest name in, uh, attached uh, actor wise is Tom Atkins, um, yeah. who's got uh, I don't know whose stroke of genius it came up with Thrill Me, but you know. If I was as cool as Tom Atkins, like that's definitely the way I would answer the phone, just like he does. <laughs> between between this and Halloween three, it's like the legend oh. of Tom Atkins was there now. Yeah, he was he was just um he's 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 just great. He and he's so great in this movie. But like you were just saying, these eighties movies, um, you know, one of the one an episode that I did last year was um, we did an '80s apocalypse double feature, and we did Night of the Comet mm-hmm. and Miracle Mile, two movies that I hadn't seen because they were kind of before my time, and two movies now that I consider to be like great underrated cult classics. Um, 
and then but night of the creeps i was actually i had been familiar with this because i distinctly remember seeing this um cover in the vhs store uh, in the rental store and mm-hmm. you know as a kid I couldn't wait to be old enough to rent our movies. And, and there were certain covers that stuck out in my mind. And the cover of Night of the Creeps is one of them. I mean, as much as we're ragging on the frat house, you got, you know, the guy in the tux, the girl in the dress in front of the frat house, and then, like, there's leagues of zombies coming at you. And then, of course, um, two great taglines. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. And then... If you scream, you're dead. I mean, it's there. You go. I mean, I it's, mean, somebody came up with a great marketing for this thing that they dumped. I mean, that's the sad part. Yeah, um, and and that also plays into what we were talking about now. That you know that the the films today, because they keep going to streaming, they're lacking these things. They're lacking the pull. There's no you know Netflix doesn't give you a great tagline for no. the movie. You know, it's that- like it's just here. You know, it's like this is the movie, and not only that. Another, uh, this goes back to the the interview that I was doing earlier today about the lost art of the movie poster. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had like people like Drew Struzan and uh, uh, other artists doing amazing like works of art that you you people would frame and hang and put in their the, their houses, but now everything is all. Um, done on a computer and green screened and it's just like it's sloppy and it's unoriginal and it just seems so generic well, like you said when you get you go to netflix like you want something eye-catching for your um for just you know for, to get so that, that audience in that thumbprint practically that's up there yeah i mean that's that's the thing you you know i I always felt in the nine late nineties, they changed the attitude towards a movie poster and it just turned into star of movie staring at you in yep. costume. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you'd walk to a theater and there'd be four posters of exactly the same stare. And which is exactly. funny because I, 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 you know, I remember talking with somebody in marketing. I'm like, but, but the thing is the entire movie, the person doesn't look at you, but yeah. on the poster, they're looking at you. It's like, this isn't a documentary. You know, they're, they're looking, you know, nobody, Tom Cruise does not look at you during Top Gun Maverick the entire time. But no, yeah, know, exactly. We're going to sell it on this. And it, it, it has become boring. I mean, but then again, now the space is so small that you can't do much except for have, you know, you need just one quick image and that's it. Right. Then, you know, or here's a cast member we think is famous enough that you might click on it. You know, and that's it. And it's it's sad because you you know, it's I guess I guess in the eighties you can look at it this way. It's going going from what you could do with a, a, a vinyl album cover and and the wonderful detail you could put on something like that to when C D covers came out and they were, you know, a fourth the size. Exactly. And so all yeah. the detail vanished for the most part. You know, you had to break out your magnifying glass if you wanted to see some stuff. Well, and, and but uh, yeah, like you, you say that I remember going to my uh, parents' vinyl collection, and you know, vinyl was just like it was treated like it was a whole the whole there was something the whole package was was carefully crafted, and then it got whittled down to a CD, and now we have everything digital. It's on our phones or our computer. We don't yeah. even ha- like all we have is like a little, like yeah. one inch little square art representation of an album and i was someone that like 
I'd go through the liner notes. Like mm-hmm. I'd look at all that kind of stuff. Like that kind of stuff fascinated me. I wanted to find out, like you know, who played this, you know, the the guitar solo and like where the, the engineers and all that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff fascinated me. Like I like, you know, it's one of those things. Like I like the sausage, but I also like the way that the sausage is made. Like I, I the, both both aspects yeah. appeal to me, and um. You don't get that with like Netflix. Oh, I don't even. I, I I think that they're getting a little bit better with that. But one of the things, another thing that I like about physical media is all the bonus features. I like yeah. if a movie's interesting, I want to listen to the commentary. I want to see the deleted scenes. Like you know, and we're gonna we're gonna talk. We we. I, I if you're still tuning in, uh, thank you for listening. Um, we're just having a great time here. To, just two cinephiles kind of riffing here but we we will focus more on night of the creeps and like i said about deleted scenes you get those alternate endings and uh yes. night of the creeps has got a great alternate ending right i mean there's two you know you get the theatrical ending which you know what 70 theaters got to see which is the uh the dog comes right. up on the the couple the, the the building's blown up the couple thinks the trouble's over and then the little infected dog comes at the at the girlfriend and him and you know ah here comes another slug flying right yep and then but the second one the 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 director's cut which is uh on the uh, scream factory blu-ray if you pick that up is you know what happens to tom you know we see that tom didn't die in the basement and that he's been infected and you know he's walking and even though he's you know he's char grilled uh for the most part and then you know we see what happens to tom in the end and then we see the aliens come back, right? Looking for their stuff. Um, which you yeah. know, all that you know, it and it's like I, I'm not sure why TriStar had to reshoot the ending, but you know, they're both there, which is the good part. You know? Yeah, and 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 sometimes I, I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, there's there's so many movies that have radically different endings and i know some people you know they have they have very you know specific tastes in in the way that a movie ends and if everything's not wrapped up and every question isn't answered and everything isn't resolved people leave frustrated i'm okay with an ambiguous ending i i that's me personally, but I know people that aren't. Um, they kind of like like my father would prefer an ambiguous ending, but my mom, my mom is more so that she wants if she's invested all this time in a story, she kind of wants um, a succinct conclusion, a satisfactory conclusion. Um, so I think that's one of the great things about physical media is that you get to um, experience. You know, if you, you you could watch the extended cut, watch mm-hmm. the director's cut, the producer's cut, watch uh, deleted endings, alternative endings, or in the case of something like um, Superman Two, it's the like those the the two different cuts of the movies are almost two different movies completely. Yeah. Um, and that kind of gets you know that gets lost in. And streaming, because if I'm watching a Netflix original movie, uh, I don't recall ever seeing a, a, an option to uh, to watch an alternate ending 
Um, no, I, I, I don't recall them doing anything of that nature. They and then a bonus featurey period. And and speaking of the eighties, I mean, uh, a movie that uh, a lost episode here on our show was um, the movie Clue, which is famous for having three different endings. Yep. Um, and it was kind of uh, the the role, uh, you know, each you you wouldn't know what ending you were getting. Um, and unfortunately, that movie bombed. And I wonder, I, you know, we, we kind of theorized if if that that was part of the reason that that movie didn't do so, so well um, was because there's three different endings. I mean, people that was kind of the last of those great kind of um new ways of getting people into the theater you know yeah. like different you know you, you talk about like a william castle um who would uh you know have like physical things happen in the theater itself and oh. uh the great joe dante movie matinee which you know mm-hmm. plays up these whole little little interesting ways of you know making it a real theater experience and um and I'm glad that the the 3D boom has kind of died out because I was never that um, overly impressed with uh, 3D myself. It just you know it's kind of a it's it's not like virtual reality 3D. So you know, no, it, you know you don't get lost in it. No, it's, you know which is you know if you ever do if you ever do get a chance to check out some good VR stuff, it's it's so worth it. Right, yeah. and that's what we, I've heard. And see, we, we we had to experiment we wanted to do, but nobody would back us. What's that? We were going to get somebody really, really wasted, put the headphones on them, and make them do things like that. One where it was a swimming with a whale going around you and stuff. Wow! And we were getting so blotto, but they could you know they could see it like they're doing it and stuff. And then two days later, strap them to a lie detector and ask them, "Have you swam <laughs> with a whale?" To see if you can fake your body into thinking this happened. Huh. You know, because it is so, I mean, the one I saw, it was, I think it was a Samsung th- uh, exhibit, but it was so, the, the whale would come around you and look at you close up. And, you know, as I'm wearing my head, you know, the Oculus headset, I was just like, this is amazing. That's you know, cool. it's like, this is, you know, and you always had that feeling when you took the headset off, you know, it was like your, your body couldn't quite adjust to it quickly enough. And it was yeah. like you'd been woken up really quick, right? Like you're vivid. having a very viv- vivid dream, and you get almost—it's almost like the sleep paralysis kind of thing for a second. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's that—that—that that, that is what can happen. You know, that your mind thinks this has to be real because I'm not generating a dream, but you are experiencing this visually. So it's right. you know, but but yeah, 3D never comes close to that. You know, it's you know, I've got yeah. a couple, you know. I remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember when they kept doing the uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Return of the Creature from the Black Lagoon, or Revenge, whichever, in 3D, and they would show it on TV stations, and they would sell the glasses at, like, 7-Elevens. Uh, the, the old red and blue frames? Yes. Yeah. Um, that 3D, like, I remember, um, what was it? I used to be, I, I mean, like, when I was a, a teenager, I was a huge horror head, I, mm-hmm. and... Um, watching friday the 13th 3d with those cheap ass glasses and the the not so the not so <laughs> impressive effects it just it kind of just gave me a headache and that was about it like you know i wasn't really overly impressed to me something like um 
I get much more immersed in something like IMAX, where the screen is just so you got to your face. Yeah, you you gotta get lost in it. I mean, that's that's part of it. But yeah, no. So, but this film, I I don't think 3D, you know, would have. I think he probably would have. He could have Fred Decker at this point. You know, he's trying to pay tribute to all the AIP stuff and and whatever stuff. Which uh, which actually comes to, comes into play because I mean this is a film that came out in eighty six, and the focus is Roger Corbin and horror directors. Before right, was gonna, it was that popular, right? I was going to say, and I know that movies have done it since. I want to say that this is probably one of the first movies to do it, at least um, pay homage to the directors that became before him. But like most of these characters, I'm looking at the cast here. We've got a Romero. We've got a Hooper. We've got a Cameron, a Cronenberg, a Raimi, a Landis. You know, these Mar- are all Baba. homages yeah. to the, these, the great directors that be- became before him. It's, so, it's almost um, like a, it's almost like a John Landis film where he sneaks in directors to act for him. You know, small roles, which I think half these people have appeared in his movies. I wouldn't uh, be surprised, but you 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 mentioned that you mentioned Landis. Have you seen the movie Into the Night? Yes. That movie, I think, has the most um, exploitive amount of cameos I think I've ever seen in a film. He he was pulling lots of lots of people. He was shooting in L.A., so he was grabbing people right and left. Like, it, it it came to the point where it was it distracted from the movie. It's an, it's not a great movie to begin with. Definitely not one of Landis's best, but I, I, I personally dig it. Uh, but like after a while, it just became like me and some friends were watching it. It became like name that director. I was like, Oh, oh yeah. Of all people. Oh, that's Jim Henson on the phone. Like it just, it's just like okay we get it you know a lot of people we get it you know <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a strange little game i mean I, I we we got lucky he came to the film school when i was there we i brought him over um and we hung out for a while but yeah he he, he really loves being able to drag his you know people he's met through you know various directing gigs and friendships and stuff into the films because i remember he was talking about uh you know when they did innocent blood and that's you know, i love that there's, movie. There, there's argento working at the funeral or at the uh you know the is he? coroner's office yeah he pops up in that so oh, I, wow. I believe off the double check now that now that i mention it it's gonna be you know horrible thing but i can't tell you what we did with uh you know with landis when we were there except except it upset the faculty as <laughs> my dean got upset when he discovered uh yeah we we took john out to a gentleman's club to hang out for a while yeah why not you he's know. a director he was scouting you know it's yeah. He was telling us about Tom Tom Arnold and how he's the best person you ever take to one of those clubs because he's just passing out bills all over the place. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, oh, great. Good to know there is a redeeming quality to Tom Arnold. He's, uh, well, I would say the redeeming quality of Tom Arnold would be true lies. He's oh, that too, but I'm saying in person. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. There's a reason to go near him. He will tip, you know. But, but yeah, I, and, and the thinking, best thing we have to oh we have to have to point out there's one massive cameo in this movie because it does all University of Roger Cor- or Corman the University and stuff, and that's Dick, Dick Miller. Miller. Dick Miller right. showing up in the uh, in the police, uh, you know, the weapons room, and right. that ah oh, he's he's one of those guys you know I, I'm sadly passed away. Yeah, I think either him or Jonathan Hayes. Well, I think I think both of them did. Him and no, Hayes. Both, I, I think they're both gone. But I mean, Dick, you know, Dick has 
had been there for so much of Corman's output from the AIP films he was making to when he took over New World, you know, there's Dick popping up in half of these, you know, nurses and young students and stuff movies. And you showing know, he, up in all of Joe Dante's movies. Yeah. Have I mean, you seen a uh, a little black exploitation movie called TNT Jackson? Oh yeah. Written by Dick Miller. I didn't know he wrote it. Jeez. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I said something else. <laughs> Very. That's an odd movie. I I covered that. I subjected uh, some poor soul to to watch TNT Jackson with me. Black. Yeah. So it's a black exploitation movie written by a white guy, directed by uh, an Asian an Asian person. So that that movie's just like um. Was it Serio? Santiago. Yes. Yeah. 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 So like um yeah that's like a it's like a UNICEF melting pot of like all ethnic backgrounds coming together um that's a that's you know if for those of you who want to hear my full thoughts on tnt jackson it's available in the archives um worth it worth it just for the the ending scene of that movie alone i would it's, say it, it's 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 a the, it was a glorious time i mean that's the thing <laughs> and, and i think that's a that's the thing i mean this early 70s and stuff when that's you know when films like that were getting a you know getting into theaters it was because the the major studios weren't packing them in anymore no films so i almost feel like we're at that time again except unfortunately we don't have these foreign markets to flood the uh flood the place with there's you know there's there's not going to be a bunch of italian crime films and uh you know hong kong action films coming in at any point now to you know sweep up the box office no it's um or black exploitation films yeah it's all um pre-existing ips or you're 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 selling it based on i don't even say i I don't even know if you could say you're selling it based on actors anymore you're you're selling it based on characters it's it's characters i mean ever ever since those twilight films you realize how useless stardom within a franchise is now yeah think of how many movies those kids went off and did during the and during during when twilight movies were being made and I remember they did that Runaways movie, and it's stiffed. Yep. You know, it's not even like you can get one one hundredth of the people who saw that movie to go, eh, I should go see him in this other movie. They don't care. They just want their Twilight. They right. just want, you know, and, and, and you, know, you know, most of these people are making these Marvel movies. They, they don't, they can't take it anywhere else. No, nope. you know they're not gonna. You know you're not gonna pull in. You know, maybe you know if you're smart, you can be like Chris Evans, and you pull it into. I can do a series for Apple. You know, I can do a, a streaming series or something. I can take more control this way. But you're not gonna. You know, and that's even almost better because you don't have to worry about Friday's box office showing up and them going, "We made a mistake with you." Yeah, you know, you're you're not the and man. Like, and like you said, it's not the actors or actresses anymore. It's the characters. It's like. Now, now it's who's going to be the new Superman, you know, who's going to be the new Batman. Like that's what matters. And, um, and so you miss out on like, you don't get movies like, um, Night of the Creeps. It's It's funny to me, like this is a 1986 low budget science fiction horror movie that still stands up today that I would rewatch. A cheapo, straight to VOD kind of 
sci-fi horror movie made around with the same budget made around like today, the quality is going not going to be as good. The acting's just not going to be as good. Yes, these are, the effects are clearly dated, but I'm an old school guy. Give me practical effects. I I I I get I like practical effects more so than that the uncanny valley of um digital like some of the digital stuff goes a little too far I th- yeah um, i mean look at the you know you know it's easy when you sit there and go ah oh, crud i know what you know i know what they just laid over that scene to make it look like it blew up right. i've seen that in 15 other pam anderson movies or whatever you know it's 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 cheap goes for cheap or did the, the worst though the what really gets me digital de-aging um is oh yeah is because my my, my it, like my eyes it's like i my it's like trying to fool your brain because you're like now i know what robert de niro looks like and i know what because i've seen taxi driver and like the deer hunter yeah. i know what he looked like in the 70s what i'm looking at right now on this screen is not you know something does not compute this is very like my mind and i my eyes are battling each other going like something's not right here like well, it's only going to get weirder. I mean, with AI, yeah. to do what it's going to do. I think, and I think in one way, it's going to be good for certain things. Um, you know, let's face it. I was watching uh, Mother Jugs and Speed the other night, and Bill Cosby's in it. Uh-oh. And you're like, you can't sell a Bill Cosby movie anymore. No. But if I could digitally erase Bill Cosby and replace him with anyone in the universe. I can probably resell this film. You know, it's like I can, you know, the the big one we keep joking about wanting to do is cruising. cruising. I I love that movie. Richard Gere was supposed to be Al Pacino's character. Really? Al Pacino stole it from him. Physically called up and said, I want to do this. And the studio's like, then you will. And just like, get rid of a, get rid of Richard Gere. You know, wow. that, that he was there. And and it, this was, you know, American Gigolo, Richard Gere. Right. And you like, this movie would be so much different with Richard Gere. Because there's always rumors anyway, right? And right. And so you see this sort of tension going on with this character and the actor. And, and so I can only imagine if I could sit there with an AI program and tell the computer, take Richard Gere from American Gigolo and put him in this wardrobe and this role and see what happens. And we finally get to see what that movie would have been. So it's very funny that you say that. Well, it's not funny, but like you said, things are going to get weirder. Um, have you ever heard of a, a comic called Theo Vaughn? No. And, and he's a stand-up comic. He does a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, there was a there was a, a Netflix documentary about this. It was called like The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. And someone did one of these deep fake things where they put his face onto this actual person's, like they digitally put his face onto the the hitchhiker in the documentary, mm-hmm. and now this guy that was the subject of the documentary is filing legal action against this comic who had nothing to do with this <sighs> deep fake. But like that's how weird things are getting. I mean, like wait, imagine. Wait, so so the guy because I've I've seen the documentary, the hitchhiking guy with the axe and stuff. Yeah, the hatchet wielding hitchhiker. Yeah, they and, put his because they kind of look. They do kind of look similar. Yeah, so it's one of those things where it kind of um it 
it, it some of the deep fakes work better than others. This one works particularly well because they do kind of have the same facial structure mm-hmm. and everything. So somebody you know not connected with this comedian put yeah. put his put his face on it and. That pissed off this, you know, pissed off the hitchhiker guy. The real, the real killer. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, geez. So like, uh, it's like, you know, imagine going to law school and you end up with this case. Oh, <laughs> you feel like I don't even know where to begin with this. Like, this is so bizarre. Now, see, I so remember bizarre. years ago there was an episode of America's Most Wanted, and one of the. Uh, one of the killers, the guy, the, the the teenager who kills his family, I think it was, was wearing a Corrosion of Conformity t-shirt, which Uh-oh. is a local hardcore band here in Raleigh. And I band members, them. I actually like them. Yeah, the band members were upset trying to figure out what they could legally do because they didn't want this going. You know, I was like, and I'm sitting there going, well, I don't know, maybe homicidal kids need need t-shirts too. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, you can't, uh, you know. But it was it was straight. I, you, you don't see people do that anymore. They'll they'll come up with anything because I guess you know everyone's nervous by getting sued for trademark infringement. But uh, right, yeah, no, I that. But the deep, yeah, I could see the deep fake. You know, the idea that you're gonna have yeah. people being able to make movies without leaving their their house. They just type in what they want and pray the computer comes up with it. But you know. And, I had I had to say I'm not generally a fan of the deep fake stuff. I find it kind of silly and like a waste of time. But I, one that was sent to me recently that I did get a kick out of was Jerry Seinfeld and Pulp Fiction. Have you seen that one? I've, I've got to hunt that down. Someone told me about it the other day. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um yeah because it's it's the scene with um Vincent and Jules and um they put Jerry Seinfeld's face over the uh, one of the guys in the side room when they're interrogating all those guys. They're trying to get the suitcase back. It, yeah. it, it really, it, it, it works. Most of the time I find, I, I just think they're a, a, a waste of time. So he's Arquette. Uh, it, he's the Arquette. I'm sorry. He's, he's, uh, I can't, Alexis Arquette is the, the one um, in the bathroom ready to charge out on him. Yes. Yes. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Now I have to dig that up. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. that's that's a good one to um to check out. Um, I, I probably said it's one of the only good deep fakes to go. Um, so just some some trivia that I I came across in my research here for Night of the Creeps. Um, we talked about Tom Atkins and and uh, in, in all his glory. And not only this, but, you know, Season of the Witch, Halloween 3. Yeah. Uh, Tom Atkins has said this This is his favorite movie that he's ever done. So there you go. I, I would, um, yeah. I, I, it's one of my favorites to see him in. <laughs> so um, it's so worth he it. He also said um, that, you know, in regards to all the directors that he's worked with over the years, uh, Decker is one of the few that he still would want to work with. Um, the university, I, I didn't realize this, and it probably just it went in one year and out the other, but uh, this movie takes place at Corman University, which is yes. uh, a not-so-hidden reference to, uh, to Mr. Roger Corman. Um, there's also Graffiti, that says go monster squad and that i do remember watching <laughs> it, it's in one of the bathrooms if i'm not mistaken is that before the kid dies 
Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, and and kudos to this movie for um killing the kid with the uh with the with the crutches. I mean, that's a that's kind of a ballsy move. You know, you usually you think that those kind of characters are safe. Although I'm, what was it? Friday the third, which one of the Friday the thirteenth? Mm-hmm. The the guy in the wheelchair gets a machete right to the face. Well, I think so, the, uh, I, I think the guy with the wheelchair gets it in uh in uh what do you call it uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, but he was yeah. annoying, like well, yeah. really annoying. Franklin, yeah, yeah, Franklin, yeah. 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 <laughs> he, almost as annoying as Joseph uh, Aaron Joseph Corey in Halloween twenty whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Plan Nine from Outer Space is shown twice in this movie, um, which, which is, I would, which is strange. Not a Roger Corman film, you would expect. No, I was gonna, and I also, I guess, I'm guessing that either the licensing rights were very, very cheap, or Plan Nine from Outer Space is in the public domain. I don't know. I, I think Plan Nine is is PD at this point. Uh, okay, just part of why I, they became very popular again. Well, I, I remember every uh, one of the reasons that you always see um, in, in in a horror movie, like one of the one of the horror movies that people in a horror movie seem to be watching, is the original Night of the Living Dead, which is of yes. course because that's public domain. Poor George Romero, he really, right. I think he got screwed. At, it was like a technicality with the with the well, um, the, the story because I, I actually went drinking with George once, and he explained really? to okay. us, yeah. Because originally it was called, I can't remember now, Karen Eaters, I think it was called. And that was, the the thing was, the title card that said that in the film originally had the copyright on it. Oh. And when they cut, they replaced, when the, the, the distributor replaced the, the title card, they didn't put the copyright on there. Ooh. And they didn't have a copyright at the end like you see nowadays, too. Yeah. So there was no copyright on the work. And you know, that that was what did it in. So after it had played the theaters the first time, they got paid then, but then some lucky person sat there and said, There's no copyright on this film. And then bam, you know, everybody was booking it. I mean, because I can't tell you, every once in a while I'll pick up one of these uh Oh like 10, by the way, if you 10... if you Google plan is plan nine fro, it immediately goes public domain it's like <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because something you know like you'll see these uh you know 10 10 horror movies on two discs kind of thing and night of the living dead is almost always it's... there and i i just feel bad that you know I, you know he he went on to have an extremely successful career as he should well deserved career but i just feel so bad that he created one of the most influential um horror movies of all time and you know because like you said because somebody forgot to put a little r with a circle around it poor guy m- missed out on millions right yeah. I, no, a, they... at, at least millions well they went back i mean they've they've done various things to try to get it they've colorized it right colorization official colorization version and then we made it savini did the remake Mm -hmm. um you know so there there, there's been things going on but yeah that's you know it it does on the one hand unnerves but unfortunately on the other hand i think you know because it's been public domain and it gets shown all the time that's what keeps it popular right so it's it's one or the other 
but you know he's made money off dawn of the dead and all the other films too so hopefully it's just a lost leader concept so um trying to keep back here with night of the creeps what mm -hmm. else do i got oh um greg nicotero and how and howard berger of um what's the name of their 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 special effects group um uh, uh, i can't remember the name but... k something yeah yeah a and b or something yeah k and b um were extras in this movie so this was around the time that they were probably yeah they were they were just cutting their teeth there with um like sam raimi and and, and stuff in, in during this time um and now yeah k and b effects now probably like the best if not the best practical effects um uh, little group going um according to fred decker this script is written in a week i <laughs> um I, I i don't know that if he says so um it it, it i could see it i mean it's not and again i i, I like this movie but I, i'm not against criticizing this movie i mean it's not like you said that we're not I mean, this movie does seem to have a little bit of uh, attention deficit disorder going on because we were trying to 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 summarize the plot, and it, it does kind of go all over the place. We're we're, we're changing time periods, um, you know, changing it, color. It goes yeah. from black and white to color, or no, it goes yeah. color black and white, and then back to color. Right, and you know, you got aliens, and then it, then it's a zombie movie. Then there's a you know. Um, but it's also like Tom Atkins seems to be in his own movie, like oh, just yeah. like his attitude. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he's, his character, I guess, is, you know, as you discover, extremely depressed about the whole situation and ready to cash out. Right. So. Yeah. He's really just kind of like, and I think that's why he keeps telling everyone to thrill him. I think he's just like, he's really just kind of like had it. He's, he's yep. kind of like on his last legs here. He's, he's um, he's, you know, and the fact that, you know, the, the nightmare that started it all is back. Right. Who would have thought that, you know, the, 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 those, those aliens that killed, uh, killed his girlfriend all those years ago, back in the fifties, um, was, um, you know, coming back. And, and if only she stuck with him and didn't go out with the frat boy, she wouldn't have been killed by, uh, you know, an undead creature. That's full of, right. Uh, full of horrible, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, slug things. So yeah. Once again, kids don't join a frat. Bad. Right. <laughs> Frats are bad. Yeah. Um, and January, 2023 producer director, James Wan announced that he wants to remake this movie. Please don't. No, no. <laughs> please don't. No, I, I, I hear this. I'm, I'm trying to think there was another movie that, that they announced. Um, Ventriloquist movie with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, um, uh, magic! Did somebody? I think they, they were they were talking yeah. some Sam Raimi remaking it, and I no. mean, that's just like uh, there's so many. If you give, like you said, you you go to film school, and I, you you probably you yourself have written scripts, and you've probably come you probably went to class with people that have written an incredible scripts that are never going to have the chance to, to make a movie. Why when a movie is just what, when you already have it, 
like what what's the problem and i yeah. I, and I get it th- because kids young kids aren't going to want to watch a movie from 1986 or stuff yeah. like that and um i get it because i used to be that kind of kid which is why i'm i'm kind of filling up those gaps in my cinematic history like i you know, I went through this period of time where if a movie was uh, in black and white, I didn't want to watch it. Or if it was from, you know, if the movie came out before I was born, then there was no way I'm watching a movie like that. I want to watch the latest, newest thing. And I think it's just uh, I'm kind of glad I grew out of that. Some people don't. But um, yeah, I mean, but then again, they're they're never going to grow out of it. So why do you even cater to them? You know, it's exactly. like, right. I, I just and, don't see a movie like Magic with that whole giant ventriloquist dummy head next to anthony hopkins working at this point it's like no it's i I don't i don't see kids really embracing ventriloquism anymore except for that what jeff dunham that's about it right right and even yeah even him he he's been beating that dead horse for a while so let's just um (laughs) just let it go i mean you know james wan didn't get rich remaking bad movie old movies you know why can't he move on to more new stuff like what made him you know, exactly. That's the sad part. Can't he find two new ideas they can beat for another fifteen years? You know, come on. I mean, I mean, just let them. He he could easily just let them continue to uh, to to strain every penny that they can out of that Saw franchise. I don't even God knows what number they're up to now. I, I know I, they just wrapped another one. I don't. I don't get it. Kids. If you really want to confuse someone. Try try explaining the saw like the backstory of the saw franchise is confusing as hell. I think um, I think even if 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 Jeopardy did a thing where it was like guess these plot points from which saw movie, nobody would get it. You know, no. it's just like uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't yeah. I don't know how just blur. Yeah. Don't they just blur pretty much? The, I I I used to really like them, and then they just wouldn't stop. And yeah. then, even though the Jigsaw is dead, the movie's still going and going. And it turns out that he's had like half a dozen accomplices, literally. Like mm-hmm. everyone's his accomplice. Enough about James Wan and uh, yeah. <laughs> and Saw. Um, yeah, no, Night of the Creeps is a film. It exists as it exists. It doesn't need to be remade. If no. you want to remake a film about evil frat guys, gay, gay, you know, somehow possessed, go ahead. Just, you know, come up with something different, you know? Right. I if mean, you, some, it, sometimes people do have to buy the rights to something because what they want is just slightly the same. And it's like cheaper if I just pay you this money up front and I don't have to worry about dealing with you in court. Right. And, and, that, and you know, that, that happens occasionally where you just lock down similar things and go okay we're good we're not really remaking your book but we need to you know make but sure you don't sue us but it's close enough right yeah. yeah because you don't want any sort of um a lawsuit going on don't remake night of the creeps you know i i propose this instead give me a very violent r-rated revenge of the nerds movie um there that's what go. i want that, that'd be good <laughs> Speaking of, um, because um, we're talking about screenwriters and 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 um, buying things if they're too, a little too similar. I earlier this week covered um, uh, Vampire's Kiss, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, oh, Joe! 
Greenwriter. Yeah. Yes, yes. He, Not uh, after hours. Joe Manning. After he, hours. He taught at School of the Arts right before I got there. He left right before I got there, I believe. He was really? Like a year. I don't have any great stories about him, but I just know that he would get freaked out if students recognized him off campus and waved at him. Really? Yeah. Why? It was just, I don't. He's one of those New Yorkers. Nobody knows he's on the street. And then, of course, someone, you know, hey, Joe, how you doing? Oh, God. You know, like that. So. That's that's uh, Joe's, you know. That's that's the one Joe story I have. Uh, I, I don't think they fired him because they discovered that. Uh, it, it, uh, what was the name of the guy who stole it from? It was a it was a radio show. This guy, yeah. was, this cool but, weird little radio show that I used to hear occasionally when I was in L.A. But apparently, it was. Ba- I guess the name of whatever he stole was called plagiarism. It was a little, um, like, because we're talking about After Hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, a third of that movie is um, somebody else's work. Um, and uh, that had to be that had to be paid for. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he got any work after that. Uh, Joe Frank. Joe Frank, yes. Yes. That, um, you know, he was, you know, and, and it was these great little weird public radio show things but right uh, he used to do like um what was it uh i'm, I'm just looking here um he was uh, he was prominent on national public radio I, I know that if um but uh, yeah i think he used to do like little um fictional essays like little almost like a one-man show like a monologue story kind of thing yeah um and uh yeah apparently uh mr minion uh Thought one of those ideas was so good that uh, he'd have to. Uh, he'd, Sometimes he'd sell you, it. you you do that. Remember that the island movie that came out a few years ago with Scarlett Johansson. And, and, uh, uh, yes, Bay, yes, Michael Bay made it, right. and it was all good. I mean, they spent hundred million dollars on this thing, and it was all great. And then it came out, and everyone, a bunch of people sitting at home, go, "Hey, that's the Clonus horror movie from Mystery Science Three Thousand." Right. Yeah. And they got sued because, you know, some people there's there's elements you're always going to try to take and improve off of, you know, no matter what. It's like a blues song. Right. You yeah. hear a lyric, you're a note. You go, I can do. Oh, let me work that out. But you got to do such a wonderful job of disguising what you stole that, you know, if you let one thread loose. Yeah, they're going to come down. And it's like the you remember the band Elastica? I and do. They 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 always made a big deal when they when they uh, when they got famous. How they all signed up because she had placed an ad, and you must like. And it was like five different bands, like Wire and the Stranglers and stuff. And by the time their first record had been out for a while, every one of those bands had a lawsuit against them for stealing <laughs> songs or notes or any you know plagiarism. I mean, it's like never admit who influences you. Uh, no, you know, because that's always going to get you in trouble if it's right. not if you're not saying public domain titles. I'm influenced by Shakespeare, by Beethoven, by people who can't hunt me down and sue me because they think I ripped them off. And you know, I, you got to be careful about that. I still think one one of the thing the the wildest things that blew my mind as far as uh plagiarism or influences go was um you know being a being a, a a teenager in the in the nineties, I was a huge Nirvana fan, mm-hmm. and uh, come to find out that uh, 
there is a Killing Joke song called 80s, which, if you listen to it, mm-hmm. sounds almost identical to Come As You Are. And apparently, I mean, they were... Kurt Cobain was never one to kind of hide his influences or anything like that. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, they, they got very lucky that the band never never sued. But you see that all the time. Um, I mean, what was that? There was that big Robin Thicke song. It was oh, a yeah. terrible that it was a terrible song, but it was more, very obvious. Yes, and it was very obviously an old Marvin Gaye song. And um, well, they could. It, it, they didn't even sue because it was an old Marvin Gaye song. They sued because it had the vibe of an old Marvin Gaye song. Right, yeah. Which is the strangest thing. You're like saying, you can't play that because it sounds like this. Yeah. Like, and Wow, uh, Oasis is just going to get sued by the Beatles for the rest of their lives at that point, you know? If you, exactly. It's just you like, just because you use the same chords, but you put a little distortion on it, and then, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there, Oasis. There, there's always going to be some influence everything influences everything right you know? and, and, and and so the as i said the key is making sure you're not that obvious you know it's like ah, yeah i did mine yeah it's a little bit uh, although not as bad as vanilla ice when he tried vanilla ice tried to claim he did not take david bowie and queens under pressure Ooh, yeah, ice, nice baby because his went da da i can't remember it was like theirs goes da 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 dink mine goes da 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 dink you know yeah, like yeah. Uh, that's enough that is he's not so, enough. He's so confident in that interview too. He's got this big shit eating grin on yeah. his face, and I was just like, "Oh, buddy, you are you're in you're in for it." But oh. going back to Night of the Creeps, I think that the, the reason that a movie like this works is that he's clearly, you know, I'm going to use air quotes here, stealing, or is clearly influenced by so many different movies that um you can't you couldn't possibly like pin it down because nope. it's like it's invasion of the the pod people but it's also zombies and it's like aliens but it's not aliens and it's like so there's so much so much just going on and um yeah i mean it's the key it's like a mad magazine spoof of uh you know these movies right and i and, and it doesn't it doesn't surprise me in the least that he would go on to make the monster squad because they have the, I mean the, those, these two movies are like a perfect double feature for it's, good old eighties um, horror comedy. Well, it's um, like one, one is AIP one is universal. Exactly. It's like, you know, you know, and, and, and then he would also, I'm trying to, I'm let me look up the rest of his filmography Oh, he unfortunately directed RoboCop three, which is yeah. yeah. I actually saw that at a Buck Theater and felt cheated. So you know, <laughs> yeah. After um, he's worked as a script doctor on such films as Titan A.E. and Lethal Weapon four. Okay, that and is like a- you said, he co-wrote the 2018 Predator movie. Yeah. So um. He's still out there. And I mean, look, there's a lot of good script doctoring. Once you get up to a certain level is so the money is so good and the work is so weird. I've, I've talked to people who do it and they're just, you know, the studio flies you in for one month and they just stick you in a hotel room and right. uh, do whatever you want. You just type away whenever they need a scene changed or something. And you come in and go, whoever just Carrie Fisher supposedly used to make a fortune off that. Yeah. Wow. Well, you, know, and, and sure you those, don't get 
you don't get credit on the screen, but ultimately you're, you're getting a bunch of fat paychecks and everybody knows what you're the one doing it. So, you know, right. Or, or, or you turn into Tarantino because Tarantino started out as, a, um, you know, yeah. he was a script doctor on a uh, crimson tide, I believe. He, he that... well, he'd already sold him to romance. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of a back thing, but yeah, he, you know, there it's, it's a, yeah, he, yeah, so that I, I believe that that gets brought up in the uh, True Romance Arrow uh, video, but yeah, so but it is it, it look as you said, it's a good way to learn the ropes, make connections. Sure, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And if you if your writing style is distinct as Tarantino, you could clearly tell the scenes in Crimson Tide. Like I didn't notice it the first time around, but like once I found out he was like he was had uncredited screenwriting. I yeah. rewatched the movie and you could definitely tell the scenes were, that were punched up by yeah. Tarantino. Cause all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's like pop culture references. You're just like, what? Wait, uh-huh. hold on. Nobody was talking like that 20 minutes ago. Now all of a sudden, what, one of the characters is talking about like the silver surfer. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's reeks of Tarantino. It, it is. Um, he's also, um, this is very cool. I didn't know this. He was the writer on the first two House movies, which um directed by Stephen Miner and uh, oh, produced yeah. by Sean Cunningham. So he's really um he's really yeah, he really um still Thicker. yeah, still working as of 2018. So good on him. Um yeah. Joe, what are we missing here with um we talked all things Night the Creeps and basically all things almost uh, cinephile here for we're, we're we're closing in on two hours. Yikes! So um, <laughs> I usually have this um I I usually have my rule of um the episode of, of the podcast not going longer than the episode of um the, not being longer than the the movie itself um. I but I've broken that rule uh, I before, and I think, uh, we're, I think we're including the bonus features at this point. I was going to say, yeah, because uh, uh, I'm looking at this. This is 88 minutes, and um, but sometimes you you just get you you kind of get into a groove with the people we've never talked before. Yeah. But we're, we're, it, it, it's clear to me, even though um, you know, I'm a little bit younger, that we come from very we come from very similar backgrounds as far as our love of, uh, of cinema it's, goes. And um, yeah. that's, that's kind of what I love. That's like, a, a, to me, my favorite part of doing the show is connecting with different people that love these kinds of movies. Um, but um, one of the questions I do ask people is, um, are there certain elements of night of the creeps that you think that help cemented, cemented its uh legacy as a as a as a cult classic i i think it's tom atkins yeah i think it all comes down well two things tom atkins and, and oddly enough when the roommate leaves the message and just says at the end i love you to his roommate yeah. you know because yeah. I, I know people play into it but i'm just like well the guy knows he's dying and he yeah. wants to at least say i love to somebody you know and that's a touching moment yeah so and, and then you know but it is tom tom just you know as you said thrill me yeah. You know, he's so boss. I mean, the first scene, which is the dream sequence with him at the beach, is so just perfect. I you can't. You, you if you're gonna watch if I, I gotta recommend one reason, it's just Tom. Yeah. Make, make he, it Tom night. It's he's yeah, I, I it's it's one of those movies you could you could easily I, I've seen certain movies where you could easily 
recast someone and uh, I don't I don't think I would uh, be any the wiser or, or necessarily care but um you, like you, you need like he holds this movie together with his performance you can't um, remake the film cuz you can't bring no, it on no. no it's it's one of those things that's like if you if you have such perfect casting you don't mess with it like um I I wasn't um Again, I'll just go back to Marvel real quick. Um, they found the perfect uh, J. Jonah Jameson for the Spider-Man movies. So regardless of the director or the company behind it, they were like, we're keeping um, J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, like he, he is J. Jonah Jameson. Like we, we're not messing with, you don't mess with success. No. And something like Nettie the Creeps, I think the, the problem was, if in the wrong hands, if someone tried to remake it, they're gonna, it's going to be too slick, it's going to be too much CGI, um, and there's not going to be Tom Atkins. No, and no one, no one can deliver a line like "Thrill me," uh, like Mr. Atkins. Um, yeah, between this and season, like he's just. I'm trying to think what else I I know I just know those are the two that immediately pop into my head. But those he's are too worth it. But he, I mean, he's been in so much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he's such he's such the man in both those movies. Like he's a drunk doctor in Season of the Witch, and he's like a cynical, <laughs> jaded cop in Night of the Creeps. Yeah, uh, it's so perfect. We didn't even really talk about the rest of the cast is great. I think the two yeah. male leads they really do strike me as friends, and um, you kind of root for them. And and yeah, you you do feel sorry for the um the kid that that dies in the um in the in the in the the stall but i mean well in, in a way everybody dies we know that that's true with yeah. the theatrical cut at least because you know those little things are the slugs aren't going away so yeah. you know at least he gets a he gets an on-screen death kind of, well not even then because it's the tape recorder but still you know they they do a lot with it so, so I, I, I appreciate what decker did there yeah, I think it's really good, and it. This is just another another good movie in the long line of uh, Night of the Something movies. I mean, yep. you got Night Night of the Hunter, which is great, Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Comet, Night of the Creeps, and I'm sure I'm missing something. But um, there 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 are definitely dozens of them. <laughs> yeah, that, but th- those are um, those are probably like the creme de la creme. Night, uh, Night of the Lizard, or no, Night of the Iguana. That's it. What about Night of the Night of the Lepus? I think it's a movie. There, about there is. Giant, yeah, there's I think giant there's a that attack. Yes. Yeah, with um, that shows up on Svengoolie every now and then. With, I uh, want to say it's a uh, Bones. Bones. Right, DeForest. Yep, DeForest Kelly. Yep, Night of the Lepus. Yes. So, for if you take anything away from this episode, um, Night of the Lepus does exist. I I wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't recommend <laughs> tracking it down. You'd be better off when any other the other night of the movies that we um mm-hmm. that we mentioned but um joe anything coming up um uh any where can we get these um your books just they're, so um they're, they're both at amazon they uh, are okay they are so they're on amazon and also i'm still you know as i said i, I write for insidepulse.com uh doing uh, b- uh blu-ray reviews and home video because physical media matters it's <laughs> Yes, it does. Um, so I'm going to link all that in the episode description. 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope that we can have you on again. You've been a, a oh. wonderful, insightful uh, guest. This has been a lot of fun. This this two hours has gone by. Like I like I was I just happened to look up the clock. I'm like, whoa! I don't oh. I want to be stealing too much of your afternoon here. Oh, but um, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun, and um, maybe next time we'll we'll get a little bit more focused on the movie. But just a great conversation, oh. and um, thank you all. Please follow um. Mr. Corey on uh, Twitter. Uh, he is your Canadian girlfriend and uh, check out his books and check out his uh, w- Blu-ray reviews on Inside Pulse because like you said, physical media does matter. Thank you all for tuning into the Cult Film Companion Podcast. I will be back with some more cult favorites real soon. <laughs>